Well, good morning again. Thanks for being here today. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Portraits, and if you were here last week, our senior pastor Richard kicked us off with this message. He showed a couple of pieces of artwork, if you remember this, and they were various portraits of a, fa- a famous scene in the Bible, the return of the prodigal son. Uh, if you didn't have a chance to listen to or watch the message, I would encourage you to do that. And what it showed was a decreasing level of distortion. In other words, an abstract piece of art that you could kind of make sense of showing this scene with the son returning to the father. And then the next one was a little bit clear. And then finally, the last one was Rembrandt's famous painting. It's on the cover of uh, Henry Nouwen's book, if you've read his book, called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Great example of how we're trying in this sermon series to take distortions, things that people may assume or maybe don't even know that they assume, about church, about Christians, about Jesus Christ, take those distortions and reframe and reset them. Uh, It's interesting. We're not the only church in the world that has picked up on this need in our community. I've noticed just through various connections that I have that a lot of churches this fall are focusing their lens on what is Christianity actually for. And I think it's somewhat a response to our cultural moment. There's a lot of like Christians don't like this, and evangelicals believe this. There's just a lot of those kind of mud balls being slung around. And make no mistake, they are mud balls. (laughs) What we are hoping to do is not so much put all of those concerns to rest. It's instead to present as clear and accurate a portrait of Jesus as possible. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We have a study guide, actually, uh, that's available at the welcome table that I'd encourage you to pick up. Actually, Christina, can you hold that one up that's next to you? Thank you. Uh, These are available for everybody. Uh, They're a small group guide. They're devotional. Our small group used it last week. I want to encourage you to pick it up because you'll get a little bit of a heads up about what each sermon is about. Uh, We are somewhat trying to stick to an outline and a schedule, which is good for us at Bethany. We kind of need to be a little bit more disciplined at times. So today's distortion is this. Christianity only serves to divide. In other words, it creates an us versus them mentality. Like that is one of the caustic side effects of the Christian faith. It just creates an us versus them. You're in or you're out. You're good or you're bad. The door is open or the door is closed. You're saved or you're unsaved. All it does is create yet another place in our culture where things are divided. Now, every community has its distinctives. Everything we belong to, whether it's your kid's school, whether it's your neighborhood, your work, cultures inherently create a sense of identity. And so we're not going to kind of deconstruct identity and rules and call it all bad. Even Burning Man has rules. Like, this is a value for people. What we're talking about here is tribalism. Tribalism is a buzzword in our day, but it's a real thing. And we need to say how Christianity doesn't move us toward tribalism. The positive way to put that is the gospel unites us. The good news of Jesus Christ unites people. As much as we may prefer our own us versus them dichotomy, I've got my group, I've got my tribe, I've got my people, that's all fine and good. That's kind of human nature. We tend to be tribal people. There's a unity that is provided in Jesus Christ that our world desperately needs to know about and that people far from God need to know about. When I first moved to the Northwest uh, 15 years ago, I worked uh, in youth ministry at a great church down in Gig Harbor, and uh, I had just moved from my native Texas, and so that was kind of my only framework for my identity for a long, long time. Some of you would say it continues to this day, which I love you. Um, 
And I remember when I first moved to Gig Harbor, the ministry team that I was on, we went to a conference, right? So picture like your typical work conference. You get on a plane, you fly there. I think this, was, this one was in Sacramento. So we flew to California. And what do you do at a conference? You wander around and you talk to people that are in your industry and they're in your field. And what do they always ask you? Where are you from? Right? Because everyone's there from all over. There's very few people at the conference that are actually from whatever city it's in, right? So we're in Sacramento and, you know, meeting people from all over, people from the South, people from this, that, or the other. And I had kind of an existential moment where I, someone said to me, where are you from? And I was so new to the Pacific Northwest, so new to thinking of my address as being somewhere other than Texas, I said, I'm from Texas. And one of the people in my group was with me, and they turned to me and they said, really? <laughs> and I was like, I guess not. Like, it was one of those moments for me. I think we've all had this moment before. You move somewhere new, and in the first time you fly back into what's now your home airport, you're going, this is my home airport now. Like, this is different. I have a new marker for my identity. At that moment, in that conference, my little, you know, existential crisis moment fried some circuits in my brain, like... I am from Texas, but I'm not from there immediately. That's not the tribe that I belong to right now. The tribe that I belong to right now is, at that time, Gig Harbor and this particular church, and now it's Kirkland and this wonderful church. I'm saying that because this us-them thing is more subtle than we think, and it's also more complicated than we give it credit for. So what we're going to try to do today is kind of lean into a discussion. We're going to listen in on a moment in this letter to the Ephesians. The Apostle Paul's writing this letter. We're going to listen to them kind of wrestle with their own version of a crisis. Who are we? What are we about? This is a larger crisis in the early church. And we're going to walk through this premise that the gospel unifies. The gospel unifies people from all walks of life. There's an outline in your bulletin that's going to kind of help us flesh this out. Two questions and then an opportunity to respond. Question one, what divides us? Question two, what is the gospel? Question three, or the third part, what is our response? So first part, what divides us? In the passage that Heather read for us, there were a bunch of different words that were used to describe these divisions. You hear about two different groups of people. You hear about the dividing wall. What's all this about? If we back the camera lens up a little bit, the person writing this under the influence of the Holy Spirit is the Apostle Paul. Paul actually perfectly represented the thing that the church at the time was struggling with. This letter, we think, was written maybe two generations after Jesus' resurrection. So the people who were like physically there for Jesus' resurrection, most of them have passed. The story and the reality of the resurrection has begun to take root as part of the culture and the identity of the church. And Paul is helping to plant churches, build churches, make sure they're on the right footing as they start out their life together. Now, there are two primary groups of people in the early church. One of them were the Jews, and the other one were the Gentiles. So that's the division that we're primarily talking about today. There are many more divisions yet to come in the lens of history. But in this moment, the division in the church is between Jews and Gentiles. Jews, as you can imagine, were people that grew up in Jewish households. They learned the laws of Moses. They had laws about their diet and about Sabbath and things that their community had agreed to. Some of those laws were really, really important. Some of those laws, as we'll talk about in a moment, were more obstructive than they were important. And then there were the Gentiles. And the Gentiles is like your cousin that crashes the party and they're really fun, but you're kind of going like, why are you here? Like, what's going on? Like, this is our party, right? The Gentiles are people that had no idea who Moses was, generally, 
they didn't abide by any of these dietary laws and you can't go places on the Sabbath and what, what are all these things. They were people who kind of joyfully stepped into following Jesus, but were, I would think they would have been endearingly ignorant to all of the things that the Jews really cared about. So one of the major crises that hits the church early on, this is all recorded in the book of Acts, is that people started to disagree about whether you needed to be a Jew first to become a Christian. In other words, if you wanted to follow Jesus Christ, that's great, but we got to get you spun up in kind of Jew school. we got to get you going in the Old Testament. We need to get everything lined up for you so that you really understand the Jewish background of Jesus and your own Jewishness, and then you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jewish believers and followers of Jesus believed. And then there's the Gentiles standing over there going, really? We need to become Jewish? For I missed that part. Where was that? Where was that stop? I, I, I didn't go to school that day. What are you talking about? Now, this is important context because if you flip back one page in the letter to the Ephesians, you'll hear Paul talking about this unity in a much more cosmic way. And this is, this is going to become really important as we talk about unity. Listen to this line from Ephesians 1.10. Paul is talking about what the church is pointing at, where all of history is going. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.10. The plan, God's plan for the fullness of time, that just means from now until eternity, from now until Jesus makes his return in glory, the goal is to gather up all things in him, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. What kind of things? How many things? What does it say, church? Gather up all things, not some things, not pretty things, not nice things, not Jewish things, all things. Paul, as a Jew, is stating at the beginning of his letter to Jews and to Gentiles, all of you are in the same bucket. All of you are heading toward this moment when God returns in power and glory and says, divisions are done with, all of you come to me, I am gathering you to myself. This is a big deal for Jews to have heard, this is a big deal for Gentiles to have heard, because here's why. It reframes the conversation and pulls everybody back to what I'm calling ground zero. Ground zero is the realization that what divides us is us. So I'll say the question, you guys say the answer. What divides us, church? Us. What divides us? Let me explain. I'm not here to tear down your ego this morning, although I am a little bit. What divides us is not whether we are Jew or Gentile. What not divides us is whether we are Republican or Democrat. What divides us is not whether we come from this part of the east side or that part of the east side. No, forget it. What divides us is our sin and our brokenness and the fact that every one of us has arrived on earth with an inherent brokenness, I believe, a trend toward chaos that is implicit in our being. We can't do nothing to fix it. It's just there. If you don't believe me, hang around children. (laughs) And we can't fix it. Ground zero is the step before you step into any other form of identity. Think about it. You didn't just wake up and grow up and kind of go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you really, you can have that conferred upon you, but you need to really own that identity for yourself. That was certainly part of my story. In the Jewish tradition, you grew up, you were around Jews, you went to Jew school. I'm not using that pejoratively, by the way. Like It was a very formal series of schooling and lessons that Jewish children were taught like from the beginning. But you actually had to own and articulate that for yourself. Before any of that comes this reality that people are broken. And it's said in so many different ways in the scriptures. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus, came, Jesus said, I've come not for the righteous, but for who? Sinners. 
It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And every one of us has come into this conversation with that division in us. So what divides us? It's us. And before we start with any other markers of identity, our politics, our isms, like Richard talked about last week, it's us that divides us. And you see this in so many different corners of your life. There's lots of examples we could get to. I'll try to get to some in just a little bit. But make no mistake, the answer to that question, what divides us, it's us. We set up these divisions with God. We broke fellowship. And now... We need someone to rescue us. And that's where we turn to the good news. This is part two. What is the gospel? I'm going to try to answer this in two different ways. The gospel is, if you want to do like a little A under your heading, is A, better than we think, and B, it's costlier than we imagine. It's better than we think, and it's costlier than we imagine. So Paul is uniquely equipped to talk to Jews and Gentiles about how to get together, because guess what? He's a Jew. He witnesses and ministers to Gentiles all throughout his ministry. So he understands how to find a pathway through this. And what he's telling them over and over again in the text, this is better than your pettiness. This message of Jesus is so much more valuable than your fighting over stuff. Look at verse 13 with me. This is right before the passage Heather read. Chapter 2, verse 13. This is just kind of a great summation of the gospel. It says this, verse 13 of Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were far off. He didn't come up with that phrase. That's actually a quote from Isaiah 57. He's reaching back into history because he's got Jews reading this letter who are going, yeah, 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 Paul. But they hear those familiar words and they go, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You who were far off have been brought near. Does he delineate, like, how far off? Does he say, like, those of you within a 10 to 20 mile radius have been brought near? Does he say, uh, all you Jews have been brought near? Does he say, all you Gentiles have been brought near? No, he says, all of you who were far off have been brought near. That's ground zero. That's us coming back to the reality that we are sinners, that we need the salvation of Jesus Christ, and it's provided for us through the gospel, which is why it's better than we think. It's so much better than we think. I have to, man, I, I wish I could have like a sign floating in front of me that just reminds me of this all day. It's better than you think. The goodness of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, his compassion for me. I had kind of a stressful moment this week. I got an email that uh, just kind of threw me off. I thought, I was moving forward on this one project, and then the email's like, hey, that might be off. And I'm like, no. And in that moment, I needed to remember, actually, Jesus has me. He's, he's not holding me any less than he was before I got this email. Has anyone had this experience before? He's not like, oop, whoop, sorry, here, let me just pick you back up again. Here we go. It, his goodness transcends those moments of crisis for us. And we need that. And that's why the gospel is better than we think. We think, you may have grown up like this, we think it is you got your ticket punched to heaven, you're going to be playing a harp and wearing white robes and sitting on clouds and it's going to be great. Just kind of behave yourself for the next 60 years. Like don't get into too much trouble. Really, I mean, I think that's what many, especially outside the church, believe is the message of Jesus. Punch your ticket to heaven, don't mess up. I I certainly believe that growing up. And what actually reframed that reality for me, and this is kind of, again, to the point of why is the gospel better than we think? Because it takes us from ground zero and moves us to where we actually belong, which is in fellowship with Jesus, which is in his family, 
which is welcomed at his table, which we'll celebrate together in just a moment. The reality is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is true. And the reality is that God so loved this world, our world, your world, my world, that he sent his son in to rescue. And he could not abide us continuing to be at ground zero. He wants to move us from there. So it's better than we think, and it's costlier than we imagine. Where do we get that from? Look back in Ephesians chapter 2 with me. And I'm going to put this up on the screen, or Eric is going to put it up, rather. These are two different highlights from verses 14 and 16. And it basically says this. Jesus is our peace. Here's the, here's the uh, phrase I want us to pay attention to. In his flesh. He has made both groups into one. Remember the Jews and Gentiles, the two groups we're talking about here. And then it goes on in verse 16. He's reconciling both groups to God through the cross. There's two prepositional phrases in there that if you would just highlight them and underline them in your Bible, I would be so happy. In his flesh and through the cross. The gospel is so good because it comes at great cost. Think about the most extravagant present anyone has ever given you. Think about the most opulent experience of your life, where you knew, like, man, I'm sitting at this dinner table, and this is the nicest meal I'm ever going to have, and I just don't deserve this. What a great gift, right? The magnitude of the gift that is given to us when we know or think we know how much it costs, we treasure it that much more, do we not? We don't treasure the things that we think are, you know, silly or, you know, dollar store type things. We treasure the things that we believe and are reminded of came to us at great cost. So let me remind us, as I was reminded this week, church, that the gospel came through these prepositional phrases in the flesh of Jesus and through the cross of Jesus. It did not come as a nice idea. Jesus did not climb a mountain and experience a moment of enlightenment and then confer his wisdom upon people. He took on sin and death and evil in every form in his flesh. He carried it. And then he carried it so far as to go to the cross. These are awful but essential truths of the Christian faith. And nowhere in that distortion do we, earlier, do we even hear about this, right? It's just us versus them. It's pouring gasoline on the fire of divisiveness of our day. But here's one of the pathways I want to encourage you to consider this week. It came to you, it came to me at great cost, at great cost, and that should change us. Part of my conversion story was I grew up in a church, I I heard about Jesus, I didn't really make my faith my own until kind of middle school and then a little bit later on in high school. I'm a slow learner, so I needed like two steps to really help me get up to speed. So I go on this mission trip with my church. I was involved in this uh, youth group where we would go and we would kind of do relief work in different places. And I went to rural Ohio and really experienced poverty for the first time in my life. Like we went into the sticks of Ohio and saw you know, people living just like hand to mouth and like barely hanging on, homes that were crumbling, really destitute place. So I was kind of wrecked by what I saw and the poverty And then as part of this mission trip experience, it was a bunch of middle school kids. We're all crammed into this high school. Like, they fed us there every day. I slept on the floor of the band room. Don't ever sleep on the floor of a band room in a high school. It's gross. And then at night, they would put on, they would would have talks or they would have, you know, dramas and things like that to kind of help all the kids remember, yes, we're here to serve these people, but we're here to learn about Jesus and we're here to grow in who Jesus is. So one night... I don't remember any of the other nights, P.S. I just remember this one night. The talk was about the life of Jesus, and at the very end of this talk, this, this 
drama unfolded, kind of portraying the last night of the life of Christ, which we'll remember as we come to the table. And the actor who was playing Jesus, picture a guy dressed up kind of in, you know, the stereotypical Jesus Halloween costume with like the wig and the robes and all that. He's carrying this cross. He comes across stage left to stage right. And the cross is just massive. Like it dwarfs him. And I don't remember if it was on wheels or how, how it was. He's just, it's on his back and he's just dragging it stage left to stage right. And for whatever reason, that image, you know, like just picture like the classic like high school auditorium with the, the curtains and the lights and all that kind of thing. For whatever reason, that image, the thought that came across my mind like a thunderbolt was, the stories are true. It came at great cost. Everything I've heard about as a kid, everything my Sunday school teachers taught me, the flannel graphs, it's all true. Because no one would carry a cross on their back for anyone except if they love them. It must be true. It has to be true. And that changed my life. And I'm reminded of that when I come back to this reality, like we hear expressed in the text, it came at great cost in his flesh through the cross. These were not easy steps. This was not the primrose path that Jesus walked, but he did it for us. So the gospel is better than we think and it is costlier than we think and it took more out of Jesus than we could ever imagine and we will treasure it because of that. Because it came at such great cost and it will change us. And it will allow us not to transcend an us versus them thing but to show the world around us that the message of the gospel is bigger and better than that. So we've talked about what divides us, we've talked about what is the gospel, now we're talking about what our response could be. If the gospel truly unites us, what, what do we do with that? On your way out today, you'll get one of these. And this is just a little Lego brick. The ushers will hand one out to you as you leave today. Please don't miss getting this. I would like everyone in our church to have one of these and to just keep it in your pocket throughout the week. If you have little kids, you're like, I already got it. It's in my pocket. <laughs> got one before I came in here today. Or I stepped on one this morning. But these are for you to carry with you to remember the cost. Because there was a dividing wall. There is a dividing wall, like the text says, between us and God. And it's our brokenness, it's ground zero, it's our sin. And Jesus broke through that dividing wall on the cross. He took it down. He took it apart. And in our sin, we forget that and we try to you know, build it ourselves. And I'm going to get through this. But take this piece with you this week to remember that it came at great cost. And that the gospel is real and it is effectual, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the one who took apart the wall and made room for you and for me. That's a next step. Another next step we can take is just to begin with the end in mind. I talked about Ephesians 1.10 a minute ago. Listen to this from Ephesians 2, 9 through 20. This is where it's all headed. Paul writes this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The end, the gathering up together of all things, it is coming, and with Christ as our foundation, we don't have to fear it. We don't have to be afraid of, am I in or am I out? You don't have to fear it when Christ is the foundation. So ask this week, church, Jesus, would you increasingly be my foundation? I talked to a friend this week about a house he just bought, kind of an investment property. 
And I was going, you know, hey, what, how did it go with the house? Did you close? Okay, great. And he said, yeah, you know, if I had the money to, I would tear the whole thing down. And I said, really? Like, why? That's a really valuable thing you've just bought. And he said, there's no foundation. It was built on just the shoddiest possible slap-together, crude foundation. It's creaky. The doors don't work. The foundation is shot. May you be reminded this week, when you are tempted to look at the doors that won't close in your own life, the things you are dissatisfied with about your work or about your marriage or about your children, that the foundation you have available to you, church, is Jesus Christ. And he is using that foundation to make that which is above it good. And it may not feel right right now, but it'll, it'll come. It'll come with time. The foundation is what allows us to move ahead. That is what we are headed towards. So when experience, when life, when difficulties or setbacks or conflicts hit you, go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my foundation. You are my foundation. This has not changed because I got a stressful email or because this happened. You are my foundation. Come back to that this week. The second thing that I would encourage us uh, to remember, I'm actually not going to encourage us. We're going to watch a brief video. And that's this. In an us versus them world, we as a people need to listen. We need to listen well to those who would look at our faith. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, look at what you believe. Look at what other people in the media claim. And we need to listen and really hear what's going on under the surface. We're going to watch this video. We've put together several videos for this sermon series, but this features uh, two of our own from here at Eastside, so I'm especially excited for you guys to see this. But I want you to pay attention as you hear this video about the importance of listening. So let's watch this together. I had this relationship with God that I desired to grow in, but I would say, if I'm honest, what I desired even more than that was love and approval from people. But I felt this loneliness of feeling like there was nowhere I really truly belonged. Went off to college at Washington State University. I ended up meeting a couple guys that lived in my dorm my freshman year that were involved in this ministry um, called Crew. And I quickly realized there was something different about the way that they were living their lives. God used the ministry of crew to really help me grow in this faith that I had and really experience God's deep love for me in a new and transformational way. College was such a pivotal time in my life and in my faith. I got connected with the ministry of crew in my junior year of college. I grew up in the church, but I had no tools on how to actually talk with other people about Jesus. I just thought it was a weird topic, like you're supposed to talk about God, but like no one actually gives you tools to care for people really well. And so that was what was so significant for me in college was actually starting to get language. After I graduated college, I decided to give a year of doing full-time college ministry because I loved it. I did it while I was a student, so why not trust God and, and do it after I graduated? Through that year, I would just say I just fell in love with it. Just for the two of us, it was fun to get to do that together. So much of you know wanting to you know, embody and articulate the gospel to people is asking them, you know, what, mm-hmm. what do you know about Jesus? Like, what, what did you kind of grow up believing? And I think increasingly, just people don't, like, 
didn't grow up uh, knowing much. And so it's not even that they have this picture of, of who Jesus is that we're kind of reshaping, but a lot of times it's that I don't know who Jesus is. We say often that Jesus is for the all, but he's also for the every. And so when we think about going to every campus, we think about going to every student, every people group that's on every campus, I think we're just constantly in prayer and constantly hopeful that God is using um, believers on campus to go to go to the all, to go to the every. And we just want to be open-handed and uh, be excited and expectant that God will continue to use us, continue to like point us to the people on campus he is at work in their lives. People are always like, oh, wow, you're, you're a missionary to college students. You must be great at this. And I, I think the, the big thing is, I, I think what we just learned is how to like listen. <laughs> Everybody can learn how to listen. And if you learn how to listen and then be able to articulate what Jesus says about the hurts that people are experiencing to the brokenness that they have, or even to the hostility towards Jesus, getting beneath the surface and you realize, well, they've had this bad experience in the past that's really shaping what they believe now. But if you just listen to that, you help build all these bridges towards the gospel and and towards people. So listening, being available, we can do this. It's a great word. It's a great example. Thank you, Garrett and Michelle, for being a part of that and for your ministry. I just want to end with this as we come to the communion table. Um, When we're reminded of what Jesus actually came to do and who he came to rescue, we cannot continue to live in such a way where we're okay with people looking at what we believe and say, it's just us versus them, it's you're in or you're out. It should touch us in such a way where we go, no, 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 there's so much more. There's so much more. But I loved uh, the emphasis on listening from what the light said. I love the line, we're for the all and we're for the every. That there are individual people in each of our lives that we may have no idea want to hear about this God who loves them and who is for them. And all they might know is that us versus them mentality. And it is our opportunity, our responsibility to come before them in a posture of listening and just say, well, tell me about that. How have you experienced that? We'll often find that there's been so many things that have hurt them unintentionally or intentionally from the church. And we have a responsibility as a church in Kirkland in 2019 to say that narrative, that needs to stop. We need to be a part of writing the narrative that Jesus first intended it, and that is that he is with and for the least and the lost and for the every and for the all. So I want to invite everyone uh, to join me in communion, and I'm going to invite our servers to come forward as we come to the table. Would you pray with me as we uh, ask God to set apart this time? Father, thank you for being with us and for us. Thank you for calling us uh, to be a people who are reminded of the cost with which you poured out your grace and your love to us. Thank you that we could never have come up with this idea of, of bread and juice and celebrating this meal. You came up with this. So this is your table. These are your elements. Would you use this time uh, as we worship you now for your glory? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this table uh, is maybe a little bit like the table that Jesus was with his disciples on the night when he was betrayed, when he went to the cross. 
And on that night, as the scriptures tell us, he broke bread. 